I hope everybody is refreshed with an extra hour of sleep, unless you stayed up an extra hour just to, to compensate. I was thinking this week uh, what an interesting year it has been with weather. The reason that came up was because I was reading David Jacobs's article in the New Life Ranch magazine where he talked about how in February they had record snowfall. Then in March they had a record drought. Then they had a record rainfall in April and record heat in July. <laughs> what an interesting year it was for them. And, and for us as well, we have our own share of records in Texas. One that we could add to the list is the, the record number of wildfires that took place this year. I've seen estimates as high as 30,000 different wildfires consuming over 4 million acres of land and consuming over 3,000 homes. That's just an amazing reality. It's been devastating. And as we've seen, when the conditions are right for a wildfire, you just can't stop them. (laughs) Once they get started, they pretty much have their way. People like Michael Park try to do things to help control them and protect structures, but he would probably agree, in the end, the, the fire has the final word on what is preserved and what is consumed. My family and I spend time every year at Possum Kingdom Lake, and they are one of those places that have been devastated by the wildfires this year. We went to view the damage, and it was really odd to see a home completely consumed, I mean burned to the ground, and not 30 feet away was another home still standing, apparently not even touched by the flames of the fire that consumed the one right next to it. But for the most part, as you drove through that area, it looked like a bomb went off. I mean, it was devastating. You you could see things that you never saw before because of all the, the trees that had been consumed by the fire were no longer there. It was just charred ground and black sticks sticking up uh, from the ground. But in time, as you continue to look with a little water, the ground slowly begins covered with just a green grass. It it actually is quite beautiful in the contrast of that new life uh, juxtaposed to the the death that had come through the fire. Well, in our passage this morning, Peter has some things to say about a consuming fire that far surpasses anything that we have or ever will see until that day. In fact, it makes what we've seen in Texas this year seem like a a flash in the pan compared to what he describes. Peter describes a worldwide fire where the final end to life as we know it on earth takes place. It follows God's judgment. When all things are laid bare and that which was once hidden in the heart of man is now exposed. But this is only half the story. Because like what we see in nature, God has something new in store. The destruction of the earth will usher in a new heavens and a new earth that only vaguely resembles what we have seen up to this point. It's quite an amazing picture, unique to what Peter communicates in his letter. And so let's ask the Lord to guide us through that understanding as we look at that together this morning. Let's pray. God, we do ask that we uh, have eyes to see what you desire us to see in your plan and purpose 
in the works that you have before us in the world around us. Father, help us to see that they are all in your control for your good purposes and ultimately to bring you glory. May we see that this morning as we walk through the words that you inspired through the pen of Peter that we now read believing that they are straight from your heart to ours. We thank you for our time. Amen. A.W. Tozer has a quote. You've heard me mention it before. It's one of my all-time favorites. It says, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we know and understand about God is the most important thing about us. And here's why. What we understand about God's character ultimately determines our conduct. What we understand about His character ultimately reflects in our conduct. Or to put it another way, what we believe about God always impacts how we live for God. That's why I believe the Bible talks so much about the character and attributes of God. Because walking in the way of righteousness is dependent upon our understanding of a righteous God. Yet the opposite is true as well. Every destructive heresy that has ever existed or ever will exist ultimately finds its source in a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation of the true and holy character of God. See, Peter has gone to great lengths in this letter to demonstrate this truth to us. The false teachers are introducing destructive heresies based on a misrepresentation of God's character. And their conduct mirrors this misunderstanding. For example, the false teachers are those who, or those who are being carried away by their influence, do not recognize God as having full authority in life. In fact, Peter says they despise authority to the point that they reject the master who bought them. In other words, God is important only as it impacts how they want to live their life. I picture these people having a bumper sticker that says, I am the captain of my ship and God is my first mate. It is a form of godliness that has denied its power because the power of the Christian life is found in our submission to the authority of Christ. It is that humble recognition that he must do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. But instead of following him, these camouflaged Christians follow their fleshly desires. The Scripture tells us that they indulge in sensuality by gratifying a selfish appetite for sin. And in doing so, Peter has told us that they malign the way of truth. They speak of living for for God, but in reality, they're living for themselves. And so for those who, who follow in this influence, God does not have the final say in their life, giving them the ability to choose what they want to believe. It's that secular mind that determines what is relevant in Scripture 
what is true, what applies to my life, and more importantly, what doesn't. It's that mindset where I'm promoted to CEO of my life, and God becomes a consultant to my decisions. This is a misunderstanding of God's sovereign authority, and the result is a life that is it's all about me. Closely tied to this deception is the destructive heresy that suggests that God is not in complete control. We know that from what we read last week in our passage when it tells us that the false teachers argued that God would not bring judgment because everything continues just as it was from the beginning. They suggested perhaps that maybe God changed his mind because things haven't happened quite like he expected. Since he hasn't come by now, apparently he's decided that it's not necessary. This justification exists in every man-centered philosophy because it eventually removes his divine consequence for sin. According to this philosophy, the punishment of a bad decision is just simply a, a negative consequence. If nothing bad happens and the experience is satisfying, then it must be good. Because God's greatest concern in the secular mind is our happiness. And judgment is an offense to that opinion. But when God's decisions are variable and his choices are dependent on on something outside of himself, then how easy it is for man to determine the course of God instead of God sovereignly determining the course of man. As a result, his actions and, and even his word are manipulated to justify how we want to live. You know, when I'm in charge, I judge Scripture based on what seems reasonable to me. It's a wrong understanding of God's sovereign control leading to a destructive reinterpretation of His truth. Denying His authority makes life all about me. Denying His control removes the divine consequence for sin. That's a dangerous combination. And that's why Peter, who Jesus himself called to to shepherd his sheep, writes this letter to protect us from those destructive heresies. Let's look together at what he writes in his passage as we continue on. Chapter 3, verse 7. says, But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, and destruction of ungodly men by his word. See, when when Peter makes that statement, he is recognizing God's sovereign authority. He he just said in verses 5 and 6 that by this same word, God spoke the universe into existence. He, He also explained that by his word, God brought judgment through a flood. Now he says, by his word, the heavens and earth are being reserved or held back for a day when by his word it will all be consumed by fire. And Peter didn't have to stop there. He could have continued to make a a long list of things that by his word God made happen. 
when God, by his word, split the Red Sea, when God, by his word, caused the, the walls of Jericho to fall, Peter could have even talked about the day that, by his word, God caused an earthquake that shook the ground so severely that the prison cell he was in swung wide open to release him that day. Even in my own life, I believe it was by his word that I ended up playing baseball for a man named John Dudley who introduced me to Fellowship of Christian Athletes where I was introduced to Christ. And by his word, I was released from a prison of sin myself and set free to follow him in faith. You see, our human history, including our very own life, is filled with examples of God divinely interrupting the natural course of events in order to carry out His purposes. Because there never has been a time, nor will there ever be a time, where He is not in ultimate control of all things. And if this is true, if, if this is what we believe about God, then, then how should that impact our behavior? Is it not true that if God never changes, then His promises are never broken, right? The promise of protection that allows the psalmist to write these words when he says, On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. If that's what I believe about God, like the psalmist says, that's where I go in my time of need. When God is my salvation, my strength, my refuge... The only right response is what the psalmist says when he says, Trust Him, you people. Trust Him. But maybe that's hard for you. Maybe it's difficult because you look at your own life and you just simply don't feel worthy. You've made some mistakes that perhaps you feel like move you beyond the, the boundaries of God's grace. Well, let me give you another promise. It's in, Hebrew, in Lamentations. It says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so when that's what we believe about God, that's what causes this verse to come into play. When it says we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Do you see how understanding his character influences our response to him, our behavior, our conduct? Because if God is forever faithful, never failing, full of grace, able to work all things for good for those who love him, for those who find their hope in him, where else would we go? If that is who he is, what could possibly be more secure than standing and and staking our life on the promises of God. But we have to believe it in order to experience it. God knows how to rescue the righteous. Peter's told us that in his letter. But to experience his redemption in our lives, 
we must first relinquish control of our lives. Not once, but progressively over time. It's what the the Bible calls the process of, of sanctification. And it is a process. Because there's not a person in this room who's smart enough to understand all the hidden corners of your heart, to give God that complete and tonal reign of all those things in a single momentary decision. We, could, we can and should hand over all that we know, but there is so much more in our heart that we are yet unaware of. That's why the Bible talks about growing in godliness or, or maturing in our faith. Because God's Spirit continually searches our heart and graciously reveals those places that we failed to completely surrender to Christ. And He asks us in those moments, do you trust me? Do you trust me? If so, then let go. Let go. All throughout our life, God brings us to these places of surrender as our lives are more completely devoted to Him so that by His Word, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, thinking rightly about God shapes the way we live for God and puts our focus not on ourselves, but on Him. Look at what Peter continues to write in in verse 8. He goes on to say, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Back in verse 5, when referring to the false teachers, uh, Peter exposes their willing disregard for God's divine intervention in the world when he says to them that it escapes their notice. And Peter now turns to his reader and says, don't let this one fact escape your notice. They ignored this fact. I am reminding you so that you don't make the same mistake. And then he points specifically to another one of God's attributes, his patience. See, the the mocking false teachers said, where is his promise? And now Peter goes on and answers that question. He he begins by, by bringing in a dose of humility. He reminds us that God's ways are not as our ways. That God's view of time is not the same as our view of time. That the patience of God doesn't even compare to the patience of man. Praise the Lord for that one. See, our finite minds cannot grasp an infinite God. We, we judge time based on our, our own personal experience, our lifetime. But God judges time in view of human history from beginning to end. Both of which He ordained. For him, one day is like a thousand years, and a a thousand years is one day. So if God is not restricted by the the limitation of time, what might be the reason for his apparent delay? Why is he slow to return? Well, Peter answers that by reminding us that God is not slow. He is patient. And his patience has a purpose. 
That purpose being the, the opportunity that it is allowing for repentance. It's the very idea that Paul has in mind when he writes to the Romans and he says, Or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God does not wish for any to perish, but yet he knows that there will be those who reject him based ultimately on the fact that they misjudge him. What the false teachers are using against God is exactly the attribute that he intended to draw them to himself. We see slowness. God sees mercy. We see delay. God sees patience. A patience that has the purpose of providing an opportunity for repentance. And so that's the right response to understanding this attribute of God. His patience should lead to our repentance. It may be a repentance that that leads to salvation. When we understand and recognize that apart from faith in Christ alone, we perish. This kind of repentance is not just simply the fear of getting caught. It's not even the guilt or remorse we feel from sin. In fact, there are numerous examples in the Bible where people made a confession to God saying exactly these words, I have sinned. But they didn't repent. People like Pharaoh, even Balaam, which we looked at in this letter. King Saul made the same confession. You see, biblical repentance is always combined with genuine The two cannot be separated. Repentance may come out of a recognition of one's sin, but the object of repentance is always the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the recognition of our inability to save ourselves and our understanding that salvation is found in Christ alone. This prevents us from the misconception that we can reform our lives to become more righteous. Instead, we understand that we must surrender our lives in order to be made righteous. See the difference? This shift in our belief in God over our belief in ourselves impacts how we live for God instead of living for ourselves. God knows how to rescue the righteous when our righteousness is found in Him. But that heart of repentance can apply to you and I as well as brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, when Peter writes the letter, he says, God is patient towards you, writing to the believer. Maybe he has in mind those who have been carried away by the influence of these false teachers. Those who have been carried away by the influence of the secular mind. And he reminds them, God knows how to rescue the righteous. But that rescue is always preceded by repentance. We must let go of our false hope in order to find our true hope in him. And that message of grace announces the fact that it is never too late to return to the Lord. In fact, his his patience is an invitation for his forgiveness. 
and his unfailing love. Nehemiah gives such an example when he writes of the people of Israel saying this. He says, but they, are, they our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Praise God. God is patient. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is slow to anger, quick to forgive. We need to understand that He is patient. And that understanding should lead us to repentance. Now if you would look at verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Knowing God is sovereign leads us to trust in Him. And knowing God is patient motivates our repentance. And now, knowing God is just, we believe that He will have the final word. And in that, he will make all things right. When I read this verse, I think about all the ways that mankind could end up destroying itself. I think of the way we abuse the environment, how we're often poor stewards of natural resources. I I think about the fact that if you just pick up the paper today, you will see that we're living on the brink of a, a nuclear war. There are all kinds of possibilities about how we might end this world. But what this says is that's not what's going to happen. The end of the world is not up to man. The end of the world has been preordained and will be brought to completion by God. It is the ultimate fulfillment of His promise to bring a final judgment for sin. His justice requires His judgment. God is patient, but he's also just. And so there is a time that has been established when sin will be dealt a final blow. There are a number of opinions from scholars about what exactly Peter is describing in verse 10. But what my opinion is, is that Peter is describing the completion of God's judgment. After the tribulation the millennium, and even the great white throne judgment of Christ. It is what I believe John is describing as he records his words at the end of Revelation 20, when Satan is judged and thrown into the lake of fire. It goes on to say that the the unrighteous will be judged, and they too thrown into the lake of fire. And then the earth as we know it will be no more. I believe, based on what is described here by Peter, By this all-consuming fire. And then God brings forth a new heavens and a new earth. He brings beauty from ashes, literally. It is His ultimate act of redemption. When God, as Revelation tells us, will dwell among His people for all eternity. Those who have found their righteousness in Him 
will be preserved because he knows how to rescue the righteous. We'll talk about this more next week. But the the main thing I want you to walk away from today is to hear that, that God is just and that sin will be judged. When we understand this attribute of God, it should bring us to a place where we find hope in him because we believe he knows how to rescue the righteous. And if we believe that this is true, we know that that fire of judgment is not meant for us. In fact, I believe that's what Paul has in mind when he writes to the Thessalonians and he says these words that are intended to be comforting. He says, For God is not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Especially as we read a verse like verse 10. I believe this is the same thing that Jesus has in mind as his words are echoed in the revelation that John gives when he says this, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, which I believe is another way of saying you have depended upon me for salvation. Because of that faith, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell in the earth. You see, we may go through some hard times. We may be on the receiving end of God's loving discipline. But as a child of God, you will not experience the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That understanding of God should motivate a grateful obedience. This is the idea that we talked about last week when we learn to live with the end in mind, fixing our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he saves us from the wrath of God, rescuing those who are righteous. This is what the Bible says when it tells us that our hope is in Christ alone. Knowing this, we should draw near to him as he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Now, I want you to think about that. <laughs> leads us in a path of righteousness for his namesake. Again, we're going to unpack this more next week. But between now and then, I want you to think about that just a little bit more. Think about how by his word, he called the universe into existence. That by his word, he called you. How by his word, he will someday make all things new. And now, even now, by his word, he is making you new. A new creation created in Christ Jesus. Trust in him. Knowing that he's not slow, but he's patient. And his patience should lead us to repentance. Continually seeking to be in a right relationship with God based on a right understanding of God. Because there will be a day of judgment where only those who are found in him will avoid his wrath. He is our hope and our salvation, our refuge, both now and for all eternity. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers 
or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. All these things from beginning to end exist for his namesake. Your salvation for the praise of his glory. I want you to think about that this week and we'll unpack it more next week. Let's pray together. God, as we read uh, words like we've read this morning, um, in one sense, uh, it strikes a bit of fear as we look for a day that we can't really even imagine that far surpasses any catastrophic event that we have ever experienced in the history of mankind, a, a day of ultimate and final judgment. But yet at the same time, we realize that The only reason that that day has not happened by now is because you were patient. That that you're slow to that place of of judgment, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, including us. So that we live rightly as your children, walking obediently according to your word, living in complete submission to your rightful rule and reign in our lives. Father, I pray that as we go about our week this week, that, that we think about how all these things is get, exist for the praise of your glory. May we, be put, may we put things into perspective as we examine the truth of your word and what you have planned from eternity past. May we trust in you because of your divine authority, May we depend on you because of your ultimate control. And may we find our hope in you because of your judgment of which we are protected through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.